So this is the first of our sermon series on the book of James. Five short chapters full of advice on how to live the Christian life. It seems appropriate to look at this after Easter. We've reflected on the enormity of what Christ did for us on the cross and how now we turn our attention to what it means to live that out. We can't be absolutely certain who wrote this book, but the most likely candidate is James, the brother of Jesus, who we know was a prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem. It is a letter, although not like the letters of Paul, which were written to specific people or churches. This is addressed to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations. Imagine the impossibility of writing to all British expatriates. So this is a general letter meant for a wide audience of Jewish Christians. Its purpose is not to inform its readers, but to advise, exhort and encourage them on the subject of Christian living. In this way, it has resonances with some of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, such as Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Though in terms of its flow, it does jump about a bit from subject to subject, its use of metaphor and imagery make it appealing and relatively easy to understand. James addresses a wide range of subjects that are as relevant to us today as they were to the early church. Some of the themes he covers are the nature of God, living with an integrity and in faith, the testing of faith, persevering through tough times, and poverty and wealth. This passage alone introduces some of James's themes. We will focus mainly on trials and temptations tonight, only touching on the others, wisdom and poverty and wealth, because they'll be dealt with in more depth later in this series. James challenges us to grow up, to mature and to live a life worthy of the gift given to us. Not comfortable reading for many of us. Growing up is hard. This first section jumps straight into challenging us to endure through trials and temptations. I don't think I'm alone in struggling with verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So barely having said hello to us, James is telling us that life is likely to be tough. Joy is not a word that springs to mind when I face tough times in my life. I feel more resonance with Job's moaning and groaning, but I don't think he is telling us that we have to smile and be happy through it all. He is saying that tough times, whatever form they might take, will test our faith and that this will help us to develop perseverance. Perseverance, in turn, will help us to become mature Christians, which should be our aim. There is no doubt that growing up is hard and often painful. In my own experience, there were several very tough years of my life in which I experienced betrayal, divorce, the death of my parents and a close friend, the loss of our family home. These, let alone all the changes I had to face in learning to stand up on my own in the world and be a single parent to two teenagers. 
It was impossible to negotiate all of that with a smile on my face. But I could do it by constantly seeking God in it all. And even though sometimes literally hanging on by my fingertips, not losing sight of the fact that even when I couldn't see him, feel him, hear him, he still had to be there. God was my hope of survival. To give up meant to give up any hope that I would get through. Does that look like joy? Not obviously, does it? I wonder if there is something of joy in the acceptance of where we find ourselves, however hard a place that might be, and the deep-seated certainty that, as it says in Romans 8.28, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the knowledge that God will never leave us, however we might be feeling, even when it is simply about making a decision to keep walking, somehow we can set our faces like flint and walk towards whatever trial it is, knowing that we will grow through it. It can give give us a measure of peace in it that surely is a kind of joy. There is no doubt that we learn more about ourselves and about God through the tough stuff of life than the relatively good times. We often face a choice of working through things with God and allowing him to heal and change us or become embittered and maybe kill parts of ourselves in the fight for survival on our own. Our scars can become beautiful or ugly. Next in our quest for spiritual maturity is wisdom. In verses 5 and 6, James assures us that if we ask for wisdom with the faith that God will give it to us, then he will give it to us. This relates to perseverance. It is often wisdom that will ensure that we can stand firm through adversity in the knowledge that we will come through. Wisdom is one of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12. It's a practical gift that helps us to become reflective people who learn from our experience. A gift worthy of being eagerly desired, as Paul suggests. As I've got older, I have come to see that wisdom is one of the most valuable gifts, both applied to my own life and in dealing with others. To James, wisdom is essential for godly living. It gives us insight into the will of God and the way it applies to our lives. The book of Proverbs is full of passages that relate to the importance of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3, For she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. There will be more on wisdom later in this series, but it's worth noting that it is essential in standing up in the face of adversity and temptation. It helps us to make the distinction between right and wrong. And we have the huge advantage of knowing that God will help us do the right thing when we're under pressure. In verses 9 to 11, James introduces the issue of wealth and poverty. 
Again, there'll be more on this later in the series. However, James's instruction in verse 9, for the brother in humble circumstances to take pride in his position, reminds me of verse 2, because humble circumstances are a kind of trial. And James is perhaps suggesting that spiritual maturity has more wealth attached to it than material wealth. In our society, money does give us power and status, and unless we can handle it extremely wisely, it will lead us into all sorts of temptations. However, the lack of it causes trial and adversity. Likewise, James seems to suggest that the wealthy may lose their material possessions. He says, The sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. James is drawing on imagery from Isaiah 40. All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. The material worth of this world means nothing to God. Now let's turn with James to the thorny issue of temptation in verse 13. The evidence of the Old Testament is that sometimes God gives us situations that test our obedience to him. In Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. In Judges chapter 2, God tests the nation of Israel by leaving them surrounded by pagan nations to see if they will continue to walk in the way of the Lord. But whilst God may test us to strengthen our faith, he does not entice people to sin and potentially destroy faith. God is holy and pure beyond anything we can understand. 1 John 1 verse 5 says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. God wants us to become holy. Since he can't be tempted with evil, it wouldn't be possible for him to entice us towards evil. James is making the point that temptation stems from evil desire within us, part of our fallen human nature. This temptation entices us to sin, which will separate us from God, thus leading towards death. As Paul says in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. God will sometimes allow us to be tempted so that we can learn to resist it. James is again calling us to maturity. We are not to blame God for calling us towards sin. We must take responsibility for ourselves. We all know what our particular failings are and how easy it is to give in to them. The very fact that they are so easy to give in to shows how powerful that side of our nature can be. But that need not be our story. We can stand strong with God's support, and when we fail, we can say we're sorry and start again. Learning to be steadfast and persevere through the tough times of life, and also stand up against our own sinful desires, is part of growing up. 
We have no trouble accepting that part of being a good parent is allowing our children to learn to cope with what life may throw at them. We don't always rush to protect them from all of life's problems because we want them to become strong, compassionate, confident individuals who will reach their potential and be a gift to the world. Why do we struggle against God when he wants that for us? Being obedient can often be personally quite costly. (laughs) We have to trust his promise, repeated over and over again. For instance, in Deuteronomy, Joshua, Matthew and Hebrews, that he will never leave us or forsake us. His aim is to lead us into life, to help us to reach our potential for his purposes, but also for ourselves. As James tells us, every good and perfect gift is from above. God doesn't change, he keeps his promises. We often struggle to understand where we find ourselves. We think we can't cope and we won't be able to bear it. That's part of our human nature and God can cope with our questions, although he may not always give us answers that satisfy us. But somehow, in the wrestling with things, we can come to a place of peace and move through them. I would like to share with you two things that have encouraged and helped me. The first is a poem, the second a prayer. There are a few copies of both at the back if anybody would find them helpful. The poem is by a lady called Margaret Silf, who many of you will probably know, that's in a little book called Compass Points. Every step of the journey has been shaping us into who we are today. And today truly is the first day of the rest of our lives. In every direction we have found little shafts of eternal light that transform stones into diamonds. When we thought we were walking through a shower, we caught sight of a rainbow. When we stubbed our toe on a rock, It surprised us by becoming a stepping stone. When we felt we were trudging through a barren desert, small gleams of glory sparkled through the pointlessness and gave it meaning. When we thought the darkness was absolute, we noticed a midnight star. In the ground of our being, the heart's restless compass comes to rest. Yet there is always a divine more urging us forward and the more will take us beyond anything we can ask or imagine finally I'm going to say a prayer adapted from a prayer by Thomas Merton let's pray Lord God we have no idea where we are going and cannot see the road ahead or know where it will end But as long as it is your will we are seeking, somehow you will lead us by the right road. Help us to trust you, even when we seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. Thank you that you never leave us to face trials and temptations alone. Amen.